0: In the wake of the 2020 election, Randy Weingarten, President of the American Federation of Teachers, was on nearly everyone's shortlist of potential nominees for U.S. Secretary of Education. Ironically, by not ending up in that role and remaining in her current one, she may end up with even greater influence on whether President Joe Biden meets his goal of reopening most schools for in-person instruction in his first 100 days. I'm Marty West, Editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Randy Weingarten, President of the American Federation of Teachers. Randy, welcome to the Ednext Podcast.
1: Thank you, Marty. Glad to be with you.
0: So let's dive in. One consequence of the pandemic, it seems to me, is a renewed appreciation for just how much we all depend on public schools, not just for academic instruction, but also for supporting students' social-emotional well-being, keeping them nourished, and simply providing childcare while parents work you might say that we've come to see teachers as essential workers. Does your union see them in that way?
1: Yes, I mean, uh, you know, I I think that, I think you're absolutely correct about um, people seeing educators and public education as foundational to, you know, well-being and to community and to the economy and, um, you know are our, our you know we have always seen educators as key to opportunity and justice but this pandemic has raised and made it clear just how much schools fill huge vacuums in in um community stability and in the the, the lives of of young people and and their parents um and you know they're you know, what, what, what is ironic here is that normally, in most times, teachers can kind of, things get defaulted to teachers and teachers are mom, dad, you know, counselor, grandparent, all sorts of other things. But in the middle of a pandemic, the one thing that teachers don't have is they don't have, you know, something that's going to um, stop the pandemic. Um, And, and that now we actually really do need help to reopen schools and be safe. And, and there is this you know great frustration on all sides that teachers can't do it all and, and that we need others to help us.
0: Now, one implication of that understanding of the role of teachers and the term essential worker would seem to be that we should be doing everything possible to get teachers and students back in schools together as soon as we can. And as you know, President Biden has said that he wants to see most K-8 schools open for in-person instruction within the first 100 days of his administration. Does the AFT share that goal?
1: We do share that goal, and we and we we know the importance of in-school instruction. We know that there's a lot of skepticism about, you know, whether it could be done safely. And there's a lot of distrust that's layered in that skepticism for you know the years of of um, disinvestment in schools and of not being able to implement sometimes people you know implement effectively. But you know we you know what what we have said since literally a year ago this is now February since since last March and April is that we need guidance and resources to create a roadmap to reopen safely. And we are working with the Biden administration on these things. We have been since the transition, there is a roadmap but it has to be implemented in a a way that's real because that that mitigation strategy in that roadmap is what limits um, the transmissibility of COVID.
0: Now, the new CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, has gone on record as saying that teachers should be vaccinated early as essential workers, but that schools can reopen safely, even if not all teachers get their shots right away. Are you encouraging members to cooperate and agree to get back to in-person teaching, as her comments would seem to imply that they should?
1: Well, her comments actually. Uh, so, you know, part of the dilemma when you take one piece of Dr. Walensky's comments and not all the pieces of them is that what she actually said was that the research, she said two things. One, that teacher vaccination is not a precondition, although the Biden administration believes that teachers um, should be a priority. And we at the AFT for months have now said, that teacher vaccinations should be aligned with school reopening. So that's one piece. But the other piece she said, which is more important um, and which intersects with this, is that to reopen schools safely, you need to have the mitigation factors, including masking, physical distancing, hygiene, cleaning, and ventilation. And in the places that we are having the most difficulty, um, those mitigation factors are not in existence. And, And so that's the urgency of having clear guidance, safety guidance, which the last administration refused to do and resources attached to that guidance to get that done. So let me take it a step further to the harder situations. So what happens if you have a Baltimore or a a Philly, unlike the places where the CDC did their study in rural Wisconsin, and you can't change the ventilation systems, um, you can't completely revamp the ventilation systems. It seems to me that in those situations, if we are really, 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 really um, uh, focused on getting kids back to school quickly, teachers who want vaccination should have them immediately. Because if you can't do all the other mitigation, then the vaccination mitigation, which may be some of the best mitigation, can happen more quickly. And so these things have to be accounted for. and And in the middle of a pandemic, um, thank God, it's not surging anymore. It's it's not one size fits all.
0: If teachers are given priority access to the vaccine, should they then be required to go back into school regardless of the other conditions that are in place? And if they refuse to, should they still be paid?
1: So first off, teachers have um, those the the other conditions are absolutely essential. The point I'm trying to make is that if you cannot revamp, if you can just put a fix in on ventilation and you can't revamp the entire ventilation system, then this is an important um, fix to do immediately. We too often basically um, leave it to teachers to be the ones who figure all of this out. In the middle of a healthcare pandemic, you can't do that. Their lives are, are, are not up for grabs. They have a right to feel protected, and frankly, the teachers who are um, are, are um, you know are, are are out there every single day trying to help kids are doing their utmost right now. I don't you know I don't you know uh, begrudge a parent at all for pulling his or her hair out because of what has happened here, but it's not any of our fault that this has happened. we have in the middle still of a pandemic with lots of questions about what's going to happen going forward. So ultimately, places like New York City, we were able to create um, the list of mitigations that need to happen. They happen quickly, People trust that they're going to happen quickly. You create their the the educators that are in school with every passing day feel more confident about it. Um, even when there was a surge, because there the the science and the the the, the safeguards that were needed to deal with um, uh, COVID transmission were um, dealt with with real fidelity. Um, but places that um, you know that that are imposing um, things on teachers impo- you know without giving teachers the um, the 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 safety um, uh, considerations are just wrong so i am not I'm, I'm 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 consciously not answering your question because i don't think it will ever come to that ultimately i think that 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 with this administration they get that the roadmap is the the public health safeguards, the testing, which really helps manage what is an unseen disease, the accommodations that are necessary for those who are at risk, um, vaccines as quickly as is possible, and, and, and having then also some kind of metric for clearly closing and opening. And I think that's the formula for reopening schools safely. And and last thing I'll say on this is, if it's really as important as I think, Marty, you and I share the importance, then um, we would be doubling and tripling down on getting the roadmap um, uh, accomplished.
0: Let's talk about some of the teachers you just mentioned in other places, There are hundreds of thousands of teachers across the nation who have already gone back into schools, including schools that don't have the mitigation protocols that you were just referring to in place. What's your message to them? Should they be striking or otherwise pushing back? Are they risking their lives? And if not, why are teachers in Chicago and California and Maryland so different from teachers in Florida and
1: Texas and Maine? Well, there, you know, you have um, elementary schools and opened in New York City with a very, very strong education union um, because, you know, we have a, a nation. Well, let me let me look at the data. In sept- what we learned a lot in September and October that um, places with... Low or moderate community spread. um, schools could elementary schools could still be reopened if they had the mitigation factors and because of the mitigation factors you ended up having. um, really much lower transmission in schools, than in communities that was really good news and that's the basis upon which I think that we have a real opportunity to reopen safely. But what has happened is because so much in the country um, has not had real disclosure requirements or transparency, people are scared to death in Florida. People are scared to death in Georgia. I was on the phone with um, people who were in that rural area in Georgia where teachers got vaccines and other essential workers um, we're getting their vaccines, and the vaccinations were then taken away from this hospital to penalize the hospital for giving teachers vaccines. That sends a terrible message. It it also is saying as, and I think this is part of the reason why Trump lost the election, that you know people, teachers, um, meatpacking workers, they they're viewed in some of these states as dispensable as expendable. So the point is that we need to have these kind of safeguards everywhere. And, and that will hugely reduce the agita and, and the um, that that and the that people feel. And and so you can't really teach well when you are so worried about yourself or your family. So you know, what we're seeing is that these fights in New York, in Boston, in Chicago, what they're doing is they're actually saying to people around the country, wait, we, we can actually be safe and do what we really need and want to do, which is teach children. So so I think that we should actually have a higher standard for health and safety, not a lower standard. And 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 frankly, it's one of the reasons when we need more unionization all over it so we can actually protect people. It's part of the reason why people in Georgia and people in in, in you know in Mississippi um, they want unions. It's one of the reasons why the Amazon workers are actually um, fighting to see if they can unionize in Alabama. So the, the the most important thing I can say is this is not an either or. Everybody gets that in-school learning is really important. We're public school teachers. We fought against distance learning as a substitute to us for years and years and years. Um, but we have to have the roadmap to make it safe and then also make sure that we create the trust and, and, and fight against what has been a year of disinformation and lying and an and, and abject failure of the last administration.
0: The flip side of your call for more unionization in the places you just mentioned, Georgia, Mississippi, and the like, is that because of the current representation environment there, there has been more in-person instruction. And our survey data for the Education Next survey, as well as those of others, really do suggest that parents who have that option available to them, first of all, a majority of them are taking it when it is available, Uh, And they're much less concerned about their child losing progress this year.
1: But what we're seeing is that the issue, you know, that teachers in these places feel really expendable. And we're seeing not, you know, we've seen a bunch of deaths, we've seen a bunch of illness, we've seen a lot of these things. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what we've also seen is the places that have Um, better safety measures in the long term, the places that have spend more funding and and invest more are the places where kids do better. And, you know, ultimately, um, we should have standards that are high for how we treat human beings, not standards that are low for how we treat human beings. We're also seeing the same issues in these places in terms of hospitalization. We've seen Rural areas have been ravaged by COVID and they don't believe it. I, you know, I've I've had, we, you know, we have members in Montana and in, um, who are, we, we represent about 200,000 healthcare workers. Um, you know, we've had nurses in Montana and in other places who have talked about how people have died from COVID and still don't want to call their relatives. They don't believe that they're dying from COVID. So, you know, so the, the, um, the issue of making sure that we are, are, are protecting people's lives and health and safety and their families at the same time as we are reopening public schools for in-person learning, these two standards should not be dissonant from each other. They can happen in tandem, and that's what our union is trying to help ha- make happen.
0: So let's turn briefly to the new administration. Miguel Cardona was not a name on many of the lists that circulated after the election of likely nominees to be education secretary. What did we learn from his nomination?
1: Well, we learned that um, someone from a small um, uh, city or you know uh, kind of suburban area, Meriden is you know, um, a suburban area within uh, Connecticut um, whose district um, is known for really working together, educators and administrators together, um, you know, can make it big time. And Cardona was um, a teacher um, and an administrator in Meriden. And then, you know, for a short period of time, the um, the, uh, um, soup Uh, the state chief in Connecticut, but his life story, including the work he did as a teacher and administrator, um, spoke volumes to, you know, to um, the president, President Biden, Vice President Harris, and to Dr. Biden um, about the importance of, of that experience and also working together with educators Knowing full well they are the ones each and every day who are you know trying to help kids thrive and to create opportunity. So it 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 sent all the right signals about the importance of this profession, the importance of working together, the importance of, of, of knowing what you're doing, and um and 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 a story, an amazing life story of a kid. Um, growing up in public housing, whose parents came from Puerto Rico. Now,
0: one of the early decisions Cardona will face is whether to provide flexibility to states that would prefer not to administer federally required tests this spring, and those who would prefer not to use the results of any tests administered this spring for accountability purposes. In his confirmation hearing, Cardona seemed convinced of the value of the information that those tests would provide. Do you share that view?
1: So, you know, I've heard, you know, I, I, I was not, I did not watch his confirmation. So I didn't hear every single thing that he said. It was, I've heard bits and pieces. Um, I, you know, I think that he's from, from, from what I understand, look, data is important and that weighs on him heavily, but these are not, Um, conditions upon which um, the information um, is going to be very good. Uh, And as he said, at one point or another, uh, you can't just bring in a child um, to school for the first time in a year to take a test. So there's, um, so I think that they're thinking about all the different kinds of um, flexibility that is needed. We know we need to know where our kids are, but frankly, it's going to be a lot better to understand that in uh, June, July, August, and September than um, in the middle of April right now. And so there are the questions about, you know, is there, you know, should there be nationwide tests in April? Should there be flexibility about when those tests are given? Should there be other kind of measures of what kids know and are able to do? And finally, you know, um, uh, should there the information be available? But should it count for anything? And so, I think all of those questions are, you know, are important right now.
0: Does the AFT have a position on those questions?
1: We, as as you can imagine, we have a lot of positions. We have a position on those questions. We think that there should be waivers given. We thought that Betsy DeVos was wrong. <laughs> I mean, there was there were certain information she never wanted to collect, like whether schools were following any kind of guidance, public health guidance for COVID, um, whether you even have public health guidance for COVID, whether you had the resources to help poor kids in the middle of COVID. She never wanted to collect any of that information. But you know, this information was important to her. And so, what we said is, we think there that state should be able to have real waivers, um, and that those waivers should include flexibility about um, whether there's tests, when there's tests, and and the and there should be um, um, a delinking of the information and the concept and the accountability of that information. Um, so. But we believe in having some data, we understand that's important. So that's why we've, you know, as a union, we've basically said, waivers should be given. Um, Most of the states are not gonna meet the 95% um, proficient, you know, uh, attendance level for these tests. The tests as a result are not gonna meet laboratory conditions. So let's not punish children for that. Let's figure out how we can get the information but not punish children.
0: I'll just add briefly that it wasn't just Secretary DeVos who you would say had taken the wrong stance then, but also Senator Patty Murray and Representative Bobby Scott who backed her up when she initially said she was not yet ready to consider flexibility this spring. So I think, you know, it's a a hard one. The challenges to collecting the data are very real, Uh, but the the value of the information
1: is important as well. The challenges of collecting the, inf- the, the w- one more time, what's going to happen is that the places in the country that had schools, that had space, that had the wealth to have the mitigating factors, um, those kids have done much better than places where the disinvestment um, has thwarted, um, you know, real reopening of schools in the um, in the fall, and so you know it it just will one more time exacerbate inequities, particularly in you know and in, in exacerbate inequities. So it's it's hard to um, have um, a real analysis of these numbers. For any kind of purpose um, this year, and and so if the driving fact is to have the data, um, just to have the data, that doesn't make any sense. If the fact is that we need to know where our kids are to be able to have, be actionable about it, there's a whole bunch of other ways to do that, and that's that's just my point. I I understand that um, you know what Senator Murray and Representative Scott had said um, um, about wanting to have the data, that is really important. But ultimately, the when you don't have, for example, places like in Ohio where there's any ability to have online testing, what do you do in terms of kids there? So the, the, the that's why the flexibility is absolutely necessary.
0: One final question. Long-term, what do you expect COVID-19's legacy to be for American public education? Or if you prefer, what do you hope it will be?
1: So long-term, COVID has proven how inequitable um, the conditions in our country are and has exacerbated all of the inequities from health to education, to the economy. But it has also shown that regular folks have been the heroes in this pandemic. The healthcare workers, the educators, the grocery workers, the people who have every single day tried to feed, protect, care for other people. And and ultimately I, the hope is that we take from this experience, not just trying to solve the real, the, the, the measure of, of, you know, reopening schools so kids can have, you know, can, can be in a place so their parents can um, go back to work. What we need to solve for is a freedom to thrive fueled by real opportunity and justice. So the places that worked the best in the last year were the ones where um, teachers had had the freedom to teach critical thinking, to where, where kids had the muscle already to not just teach to the test, but to actually really discern fact from fiction and, 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 and had built relationships and, and really had um, that kind of level of discourse in their classrooms. The places that did the best are, are places that had wraparound services and community schools. So even when they were on remote, there was a community around kids and around families. And so we learned a lot about how well being, how critical thinking, how 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 being intentional about uh, disruption disrupting isolation we learned a lot about that and those are the things that we have to build up to create resiliency relationship building the the um uh and and overcome the effects of of covid but we know that that requires first and foremost to actually have physical buildings, and people together physically and in person. And so it goes back to the first question that you asked me, which is the importance of schooling as community building has been so clear by what has happened with COVID.
0: My guest today has been Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. Randy, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Martin. You've been listening to the Ednex Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.